0: section three of a social history of the american negro by benjamin griffith brawley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two part one the negro in the colonies the negroes who were brought from africa to america were brought hither to work and to work under compulsion hence any study of their social life in the colonial era must be primarily a study of their life under the system of slavery and of the efforts of individuals to break away from the same One, servitude and slavery for the antecedents of negro slavery in america one must go back to the system of indentured labor known as servitude this has been defined as a legalized status of indian white and negro servants preceding slavery in most if not all of the english mainland colonies a study of servitude will explain many of the acts with reference to negroes especially those about intermarriage with white people for the origins of the system one must go back to social conditions in england in the seventeenth century while villanage had been formally abolished in england at the middle of the fourteenth century it still lingered in remote places and even if men were not technically villeins they might be subjected to long periods of service by the middle of the fifteenth century the demand for wool had led to the enclosure of many farms for sheep-raising and accordingly to distress on the part of many agricultural laborers conditions were not improved early in the sixteenth century and they were in fact made more acute the abolition of the monasteries doing away with many of the sources of relief men out of work were thrown upon the highways and thus became a menace to society in fifteen sixty four the price of wheat was nineteen shillings a quarter and wages were sevenpence a day the situation steadily grew worse and in sixteen ten while wages were still the same wheat was thirty-five shillings a quarter rents were constantly rising moreover and many persons died from starvation in the course of the seventeenth century paupers and dissolute persons more and more filled the gaols and workhouses meanwhile in the young colonies across the sea labour was scarce and it seemed to many an act of benevolence to bring from england persons who could not possibly make a living at home and give them some chance in the new world from the very first children and especially young people between the ages of twelve and twenty were the most desired the london company undertook to meet half of the cost of the transportation and maintenance of children sent out by Parish authorities, the understanding being that it would have the service of the same until they were of age. The company was to teach each boy a trade, and when his freedom year arrived, was to give to each one fifty acres, a cow, some seed corn, tools, and firearms. He then became the company's tenant for seven years more giving to it one-half of his produce at the end of which time he came into full possession of twenty-five acres after the company collapsed individuals took up the idea children under twelve years of age might be bound for seven years and persons over twenty-one for no more than four but the common term was five years under this system fell servants voluntary and involuntary Hundreds of people too poor to pay for their transportation sold themselves for a number of years to pay for the transfer. Some who were known as free-willers had some days in which to dispose of themselves to the best advantage in America. If they could not make satisfactory terms, they too were sold to pay for the passage more important from the standpoint of the system itself however was the number of involuntary servants brought hither political offenders vagrants and other criminals were thus sent to the colonies and many persons especially boys and girls were kidnapped in the streets of london and spirited away thus came irishmen or scotchmen who had incurred the ire of the crown cavaliers or roundheads according as one party or the other was out of power and farmers who had engaged in monmouth's rebellion and in the year sixteen eighty alone it was estimated that not less than ten thousand persons were spirited away from england it is easy to see how such a system became a highly profitable one for shipmasters and those in connivance with them virginia objected to the criminals and in sixteen seventy one the house of burgesses passed a law against the importing of such persons and the same was approved by the governor seven years later however it was set aside for the transportation of political offenders as having the status of an apprentice the servant could sue in court and he was regularly allowed freedom dues at the expiration of his term he could not vote however could not bear weapons and of course could not hold office in some cases especially where the system was voluntary servants sustained kindly relations with their masters a few even becoming secretaries or tutors more commonly however the lot of the indentured labourer was a hard one his food often being only coarse indian meal and water mixed with molasses the moral effect of the system was bad in the fate to which it subjected woman and in the evils resulting from the sale of the labor of children in this whole connection however it is to be remembered that the standards of the day were very different from those of our own the modern humanitarian impulse had not yet moved the heart of england and flogging was still common for soldiers and sailors criminals and children alike the first negroes brought to the colonies were technically servants and generally as negro slavery advanced white servitude declined james the second in fact did whatever he could to hasten the end of servitude in order that slavery might become more profitable economic forces were with him for a while a slave varied in price from ten pounds to fifty pounds the mere cost of transporting a servant was from six pounds to ten pounds servitude became slavery when to such incidents as alienation disfranchisement whipping and limited marriage were added those of perpetual service and a denial of civil juridical marital and property rights as well as a denial of the possession of children even after slavery was well established however white men and women were frequently retained as domestic servants and the system of servitude did not finally pass in all of its phases before the beginning of the revolutionary war negro slavery was thus distinctively an evolution as the first negroes were taken by pirates the rights of ownership could not legally be given to those who purchased them hence slavery by custom preceded slavery by statute little by little the colonies drifted into the sterner system the transition was marked by such an act as that in rhode island which in sixteen fifty two permitted a negro to be bound for ten years we have already referred to the act of assembly in virginia in sixteen sixty one to the effect that negroes were incapable of making satisfaction for time lost in running away by addition of time even before it had become generally enacted or understood in the colonies however that a child born of slave parents should serve for life a new question had arisen that of the issue of a free person and a slave this led virginia in sixteen sixty two to lead the way with an act declaring that the status of a child should be determined by that of the mother which act both gave to slavery the sanction of law and made it hereditary from this time forth virginia took a commanding lead in legislation and it is to be remembered that when we refer to this province we by no means have reference to the comparatively small state of to-day but to the richest and most populous of the colonies this position virginia maintained until after the revolutionary war and not only the present west virginia but the great northwest territory were included in her domain the slave had none of the ordinary rights of citizenship in a criminal case he could be arrested tried and condemned with but one witness against him and he could be sentenced without a jury in virginia in sixteen thirty one hugh davis was ordered to be soundly whipped before an assembly of negroes and others for abusing himself to the dishonour of god and the shame of christians by defiling his body in lying with a negro just ten years afterwards in sixteen forty one robert sweet was ordered to do penance in church according to the laws of england for getting a negro woman with child and the woman to be whipped thus from the very beginning the intermixture of the races was frowned upon and went on all the same by the time moreover that the important acts of sixteen sixty one and sixteen sixty two had formally sanctioned slavery doubt had arisen in the minds of some virginians as to whether one christian could legitimately hold another in bondage and in sixteen sixty seven it was definitely stated that the conferring of baptism did not alter the condition of a person as to his bondage or freedom so that masters freed from this doubt could now more carefully endeavour the propagation of christianity in sixteen sixty nine an act about the casual killing of slaves provided that if any slave resisted his master and under the extremity of punishment chanced to die his death was not to be considered a felony and the master was to be acquitted in sixteen seventy it was made clear that none but freeholders and housekeepers should vote in the election of burgesses and in the same year provision was taken against the possible ownership of a white servant by a free negro who nevertheless was not debarred from buying any of his own nation in sixteen ninety two there was legislation for the more speedy prosecution of slaves committing capital crimes and this was reenacted in seventeen o five when some provision was made for the compensation of owners and when it was further declared that negro mulatto and indian slaves within the dominion were real estate and incapable in law to be witnesses in any cases whatsoever and in seventeen twenty three there was an elaborate and detailed act directing the trial of slaves committing capital crimes and for the more effectual punishing conspiracies and insurrections of them and for the better government of negroes mulattoes and indians bonder free this last act specifically stated that no slave should be set free upon any pretence whatsoever except for some meritorious services to be adjudged and allowed by the governor and council all this legislation was soon found to be too drastic and too difficult to enforce and modification was inevitable this came in seventeen thirty two when it was made possible for a slave to be a witness when another slave was on trial for a capital offense and in seventeen forty four this provision was extended to civil cases as well in seventeen forty eight there was a general revision of all existing legislation with special provision against attempted insurrections thus did virginia pave the way and more and more slave codes took on some degree of definiteness and uniformity very important was the act of seventeen o five which provided that a slave might be inventoried as real estate as property henceforth there was nothing to prevent his being separated from his family before the law he was no longer a person but a thing two the indian the mulatto and the free negro all along it is to be observed the problem of the negro was complicated by that of the indian at first there was a feeling that indians were to be treated not as negroes but as on the same basis as englishmen an act in virginia of sixteen sixty one to two summed up this feeling in the provision that they were not to be sold as servants for any longer time than english people of the same age and injuries done to them were to be duly remedied by the laws of england about the same time a powhatan indian sold for life was ordered to be set free an interesting enactment of sixteen seventy attempted to give the indian an intermediate status between that of the englishman and the negro slave as servants not being christians imported into the colony by shipping that is negroes were to be slaves for their lives but those that came by land were to serve if boys or girls until thirty years of age if men or women twelve years and no longer all such legislation however was radically changed as a result of nathaniel bacon's rebellion of sixteen seventy six in which the aid of the natives was invoked against the english governor henceforth indians taken in war became the slaves for life of their captors an elaborate act of sixteen eighty two subbed up the new status and indians sold by other indians were to be adjudged deemed and taken to be slaves to all intents and purposes any law usage or custom to the contrary notwithstanding indian women were to be tithables, and they were required to pay levies just as negro women from this time forth enactments generally included indians along with negroes but of course the laws placed on the statute books did not always bear close relation to what was actually enforced and in general the indian was destined to be a vanishing rather than a growing problem very early in the eighteenth century in connection with the wars between the english and the spanish in florida hundreds of indians were shipped to the west indies and some to new england massachusetts in seventeen twelve prohibited such importation as the indians were malicious surly and very ungovernable and she was followed to similar effect by pennsylvania in seventeen twelve by new hampshire in seventeen fourteen and by connecticut and rhode island in seventeen fifteen if the indian was destined to be a vanishing factor the mulatto and the free negro most certainly were not in spite of all the laws to prevent it the intermixture of the races increased and manumission somehow also increased sometimes a master in his will provided that several of his slaves should be given their freedom occasionally a slave became free by reason of what was regarded as an act of service to the commonwealth as in the case of one will slave belonging to robert ruffin of the county of surrey in virginia who in seventeen ten divulged a conspiracy there is moreover on record a case of an indentured negro servant john g Ween, who by his unusual thrift in the matter of some hogs which he raised on the share system with his master was able as early as sixteen forty one to purchase his own son from another master to the perfect satisfaction of all concerned of special importance for some years were those persons who were descendants of negro fathers and indentured white mothers and who at first were of course legally free by sixteen ninety one the problem had become acute in virginia in this year for prevention of that abominable mixture and spurious issue which hereafter may increase in this dominion as well by negroes mulattoes and indians intermarrying with english or other white women as by their unlawful accompanying with one another it was enacted that for the time to come whatsoever english or other white man or woman being free shall intermarry with a negro mulatto or indian man or woman bond or free shall within three months after such marriage be banished and removed from this dominion for ever and that the justices of each respective county within this dominion make it their particular care that this act be put in effectual execution a white woman who became the mother of a child by a negro or mulatto was to be fined fifteen pounds sterling in default of payment was to be sold for five years while the child was to be bound in servitude to the churchwardens until thirty years of age it was further provided that if any negro or mulatto was set free he was to be transported from the country within six months of his manumission which enactment is typical of those that it was difficult to enforce and that after a while were only irregularly observed in seventeen o five it was enacted that no negro mulatto or indian shall from and after the publication of this act bear any office ecclesiastical civil or military or be in any place of public trust or power within this her majesty's colony and dominion of virginia and to clear any doubt that might arise as to who should be accounted a mulatto it was provided that the child of an indian and the child grandchild or great-grandchild of a negro shall be deemed accounted held and taken to be a mulatto it will be observed that while the act of sixteen seventy said that none but freeholders and housekeepers could vote this act of seventeen o five did not specifically legislate against voting by a mulatto or a free negro and that some such privilege was exercised for a while appears from the definite provision in seventeen twenty three that no free negro mulatto or indian whatsoever shall hereafter have any vote at the election of burgesses or any other election whatsoever in the same year it was provided that free negroes and mulattoes might be employed as drummers or trumpeters in servile labour but that they were not to bear arms and all free negroes above sixteen years of age were declared tithable in seventeen sixty nine however all free negro and mulatto women were exempted from levies as tithables such levies having proved to be burdensome and derogatory to the rights of free-born subjects more than other colonies maryland seems to have been troubled about the intermixture of the races certainly no other phase of slavery here received so much attention this was due to the unusual emphasis on white servitude in the colony in sixteen sixty three it was enacted that any free-born woman intermarrying with a slave should serve the master of the slave during the life of her husband and that any children resulting from the union were also to be slaves this act was evidently intended to frighten the indentured woman from such a marriage it had a very different effect many masters in order to prolong the indenture of their white female servants encouraged them to marry negro slaves accordingly a new law in sixteen eighty one threw the responsibility not on the indentured woman but on the master or mistress in case a marriage took place between a white woman servant and a slave the woman was to be free at once any possible issue was to be free and the minister performing the ceremony and the master or mistress were to be fined ten thousand pounds of tobacco this did not finally dispose of the problem however and in seventeen fifteen in response to a slightly different situation it was enacted that a white woman who became the mother of a child by a free negro father should become a servant for seven years the father also a servant for seven years and the child a servant until thirty-one years of age any white man who begot a negro woman with child whether a free woman or a slave was to undergo the same penalty as a white woman a provision that in the course of time was notoriously disregarded in seventeen seventeen the problem was still unsettled and in this year it was enacted that negroes or mulattoes of either sex intermarrying with white people were to be slaves for life except mulattoes born of white women who were to serve for seven years and the white person so intermarrying also for seven years it is needless to say that with all these changing and contradictory provisions many servants and negroes did not even know what the law was in seventeen twenty eight however free mulatto women having illegitimate children by negroes and other slaves and free negro women having illegitimate children by white men and their issue were subjected to the same penalties as in the former act were provided against white women thus vainly did the colony of maryland struggle with the problem of race intermixture generally throughout the south the rule in the matter of the child of the negro father and the indentured white mother was that the child should be bound in servitude for thirty or thirty-one years in the north as well as in the south the intermingling of the blood of the races was discountenanced in pennsylvania as early as sixteen seventy seven a white servant was indicted for cohabiting with a negro in sixteen ninety eight the chester county court laid it down as a principle that the mingling of the races was not to be allowed in seventeen twenty two a woman was punished for promoting a secret marriage between a white woman and a negro a little later the assembly received from the inhabitants of the province a petition inveighing against cohabiting and in seventeen twenty five to six a law was passed positively forbidding the mixture of the races in massachusetts as early as seventeen o five and seventeen o eight restraining acts to prevent a spurious and mixed issue ordered the sale of offending negroes and mulattoes out of the colony's jurisdiction and punished christians who intermarried with them by a fine of fifty pounds after the revolutionary war such marriages were declared void and the penalty of fifty pounds was still exacted and not until eighteen forty three was this act repealed thus was the color line with its social and legal distinctions extended beyond the conditions of servitude and slavery and thus early was an important phase of the ultimate negro problem foreshadowed generally then in the south in the colonial period the free negro could not vote could not hold civil office could not give testimony in cases involving white men and could be employed only for fatigue duty in the militia he could not purchase white servants could not intermarry with white people and had to be very circumspect in his relations with slaves no deprivation of privilege however relieved him of the obligation to pay taxes such advantages as he possessed were mainly economic the money gained from his labour was his own he might become skilled at a trade he might buy land he might buy slaves he might even buy his wife and child if as most frequently happened they were slaves and he might have one gun with which to protect his home once in a long while he might even find some opportunity for education as when the church became the legal warden of negro apprentices frequently he found a place in such a trade as that of the barber or in other personal service and such work accounted very largely for the fact that he was generally permitted to remain in communities where tech- technically he had no right to be in the north his situation was little better than in the south and along economic lines even harder everywhere his position was a difficult one he was most frequently regarded as idle and shiftless and as a breeder of mischief but if he showed unusual thrift he might even be forced to leave his home and go elsewhere liberty the boon of every citizen the free negro did not possess for all the finer things of life the things that make life worth living the lot that was his was only less hard than that of the slave Three, first effort for social betterment if now we turn aside from laws and statutes and consider the ordinary life and social intercourse of the negro we shall find more than one contradiction for in the colonial era codes affecting slaves and free negroes had to grope their way to uniformity especially is it necessary to distinguish between the earlier and the later years of the period for as early as seventeen sixty the liberalism of the revolutionary era began to be felt if we consider what was strictly the colonial epoch we may find it necessary to make a division about the year seventeen o five before this date the status of the negro was complicated by the incidence of the system of servitude after it however in virginia pennsylvania and massachusetts alike special discrimination against him on account of race was given formal recognition by seventeen fifteen there were in virginia twenty three thousand negroes and in all the colonies fifty eight thousand eight hundred and fifty or fourteen per cent of the total population by seventeen fifty six however the negroes in virginia numbered one hundred and twenty thousand one hundred and fifty six and the white people but a three hundred and sixteen. Thirty-eight of the forty nine counties had more negro than white tithables in eleven of the counties had a negro population varying from one-fourth to one-half more than the white a great many of the negroes had only recently been imported from africa and they were especially baffling to their masters of course when they conversed in their native tongues at first only men were brought but soon women came also and the treatment accorded these people varied all the way from occasional indulgence to the utmost cruelty the hours of work regularly extended from sunrise to sunset though corn husking and rice-beating were sometimes continued after dark and overseers were almost invariably ruthless often having a share in the crops those who were house servants would go about only partially clad and the slave might be marked or branded like one of the lower animals he was not thought to have a soul and the law sought to deprive him of all human attributes holiday amusement consisted largely of the dances that the negroes had brought with them these being accompanied by the beating of drums and the blowing of horns and funeral ceremonies featured african mummeries for those who were criminal offenders simple execution was not always considered severe enough the right hand might first be amputated the criminal then hanged and his head cut off and his body quartered and the parts suspended in public places sometimes the hanging was in chains and several instances of burning are on record a master was regularly reimbursed by the government for a slave legally executed and in seventeen fourteen there was a complaint in south carolina that the treasury had become almost exhausted by such reimbursements in massachusetts hanging was the worst legal penalty but the obsolete common-law punishment was revived in seventeen fifty five to burn alive a slave-woman who had killed her master in cambridge End of section three